Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to show us what you would want us to see from all of this and help us to see your grace, your mercy, and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Chronicles 25, we're going to be starting at 17. We're looking at King Amaziah. Remember, he started out as a pretty good king. He followed, followed God. He avenged his father with, and followed the, the law of Moses. Then when he got ready to go battle against the Moab, Moabites, he hired 100,000 uh, from the northern uh, Israel. And the prophet came in and said, what do you think you're doing? God can deliver you. Send them back home. Uh, so he sent them back home. You remember that they, on their way back home, uh, killed 3,000 of his servants and took a bunch of stuff from the cities on their way home. Uh, they went out, they beat the Moabites and captured 10,000 of them and executed them viciously by casting them off a cliff. And we talked a little bit about that. And then we saw a very interesting thing at the very, we ended with a very interesting thing that in verse 14, Amaziah took the idols of the Moabites and started worshiping them. And it didn't, I've never made any understanding why somebody would worship the defeated gods, but this is what he did. And the prophet came and condemned him through, through, the, through that activity. And the king said, who made you a, you know, who made you a counselor? Uh, quit talking this way about me or else. And this prophet took the or else and quit prophesying and just did tell him that God was going to bring a judgment on him. So this is where, we're, where we left off last week. So starting at verse 17. Then Amaziah, king of Judah, took advice and sent to Joash, the son of Jehoiahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us see one another in the face. And Joash, king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, The thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son to wife. And there passed a wild beast that was in Lebanon and trod down the thistle. You say, Lo, you have smitten the Edomites, and your heart lifts you up and to boast. Abide now at home. Why should you meddle into your hurt that you should fall, even you and Judah with you? But Amaziah would not hear, for it came from God that he might deliver him into the hand of their enemies because they sought after the gods of the Edom. All right, so we're going to stop there. So Amaziah, if you get into this, you find out that he's gotten full of himself. He thinks he's a pretty good pretty good thing he has defeated the Edomites and it says the king of, of Judah took advice or counsel and sent to Joash the king of Israel saying come let us meet together and literally when you look at this it's not just let us have counsel together but let's let's uh, have war uh, he's he's challenging him to war is what this boils down to uh, and so Joash sends him, in, and Joash's answer is very interesting. The thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my wife, son to wife. And there passed a wild beast that was in Lebanon and trod down the thistle. In other words, what is he saying? He's saying that I'm the, th I'm the, I'm the cedar, you're the thistle. Why are you coming to me with these big words? All right. 
Um, and verse 19 says, You have smitten the Edomites, and your heart is lifted up in you. Abide now at home. Why should you meddle to your own hurt? Why that you should fall, you and Judah with you? Basically, a translation of verse 19 is, You're too big for your britches. Pretty simple. I mean, it's very poetic. We're saying, you beat the Edomites and you think you're, you're something special. All right? Now, who has the northern tribe been fighting? They've been fighting Assyria. All right? Assyria is a major player in the world at this point, and so is Syria. So they have been battling very big players in here, and basically Joash is telling them, you think you've had a big deal. You just beat the Edomites. You know, you beat somebody, you, did, you beat a minor player in a minor league game, and you're coming into the big leagues by coming after us. You know, just stay home. Don't meddle with us. Don't, don't get yourself in trouble. And you just stay at home because you're not as big as you think you are. You're not as, you're not as strong as you think you are. Now, you've got to remember that he, I'm, I'm, Amaziah is now listening to false prophets, worshiping false gods. And what do false prophets do? They build your ego and, and everything. So basically they're telling them, uh, you beat Edom, you can, you can go up there and take him with no problem whatsoever. And he has not gone to God. The last word he got from God was, you're going to be destroyed. All right? And so his heart is really built up in him, and he is saying... I have, I have been victorious over the Edomites. Matter of fact, we sent those 100,000 um, Israeli soldiers away from us, and I still beat the Edomites, and they still surrendered to us because God was on his side at that time. Now, if God was still on his side, then he could have gone up to Joash and, you know, and God directing him and might have won. But right now, he's challenging him. Let's, 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 let's go at it. You know, you, 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 your people and my people, let's, let's go to war. And Joash is kind of being very nice to him. You know, just stay in your own home. You know, just stay where you belong and don't, don't uh, get too big for your britches. Don't, don't think you're all of that. And he's being very nice to him. But at the same time, is his words that he's using going to get Amaziah to back off or is it going to embolden him? You know, uh, basically, he's saying, uh, you think you've done a big thing by beating the Ammonite, uh, Edomites. You know, they're a nobody, which to, to Amaziah, they were a big deal. They were his, on his southern border. And they have harassed him, harassed the southern kingdom for all their generations. And he's defeated them. But he has, he has historically, looking back, defeated a very minor player in the region. The Edomites are not one of the big, not one of the big dogs. Uh, it's not Egypt, it's not Assyria, it's not even Syria. He has beat the Edomites. And he's gotten a little bit big on himself saying, I just had a great big victory, now what, now what can I do? Now, he looked to the, to the southwest and there's Egypt. He probably goes, no, can't beat Egypt. <laughs> kind of looks over toward the other end, the Philistines. Well, the Philistines are not as, not as strong a player, but we're not ready to, to tangle with them right now. Looks to the looks to the north and goes, oh, there's Israel. Might have even been aware of the prophecies that God was going to deliver his, you know, and, and uh, deliver them into captivity. And thinking, okay, I, you know, maybe he's familiar with those. We don't know. But he looks to, 
to the northern kingdom and says, now there's somebody I can take. This is, this is one that I can take. Uh, meanwhile, Joash is saying, what is wrong with you? You're, you, know, you wanted to hire my people in the first place to go to battle. You didn't use them, but you wanted to hire my people. I've been fighting, I've been fighting two big boys, you know, big, big uh, contenders, and you, and you want to challenge me. And unfortunately, Amaziah, and it very clearly says, um, and this is what he says, you've beat the Amites, you know, but say in your place. But Amaziah would not hear it, for it came of God that he might deliver him into the hand of the enemies because they, because they sought after the gods of the Edomites. Because of his sin, God was saying, all right, you can go do whatever you want. Now, it's not saying God told him to. It's not saying that God even technically even encouraged it, but God is not doing anything to stop it. There is no prophet coming to him from God saying, don't do this. Because he had already set his path to sin. And this is the thing that we have happened to us so often, is when we set our path to do what is wrong, and we don't encourage, you know, go to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? Then we will, God will say, fine, go ahead and do your thing. And when, when you've fallen down flat on your face and you come back and repent, I'll pick you back up. But there were so many times God says, if you, you're really bent on doing it, I'm not going to tell you no, because you're not going to listen anyway, so I'm not sending anybody to say no. Matter of fact, I sent you somebody to say you were doing wrong, and what did you do? You told him to shut up or you're going to kill him. You know, which is what he did tell, basically, he goes, who made you a counselor forbear? You know, if you keep talking, <laughs> you keep giving me this message that I don't want to hear, then you're going to die. And God says, fine, this is the way you want to talk to my prophets. I'm not sending you one on this case. So there's nobody sending, coming to him saying, Amaziah, don't do this. And he is not seeking God. He is worshiping the gods of the Edomites. So this means he's got his own prophets telling him what he wants to hear because what do the false prophets tell you? They tell you what you want to hear. Yeah, sure, you can go up and beat him. No problem, you can take him. You just took the Edomites and beat them. You can go up there and beat Joash with no problem whatsoever. You only have a small army that's beating, beating nobody, you know, beat, beat, our, beat our, our nation, but uh, you, can, you can take him. You can take him. And this is the word that he's getting. And God is not sending him a prophet because he's not listened to the prophets. Now, the first time he listened to him and sent the 100,000 men back. And I really do think that he smarted from that one when he watched what they did on their way back. They killed 3,000 of his people and spoiled several cities. So he's probably looking, these prophets gave me bad advice last time. They gave me bad advice. They said, send these men home. And this is the problem that we have oftentimes when we disobey God and, and we have a consequence, then we blame God for our consequence. And we need to be careful because I, think, I really truly believe this is what Amaziah did, even though it doesn't say it here. I believe that he probably blamed God for his, his cities being ra ravaged because he listened to the prophet. The prophet said, just send him home. And he did, and what ended up happening? The consequence of his sin of hiring him in the first place was that they're angry. 
they're going to go, we're going to get our spoil one way or the other. And we get to, and their, their one way or the other was, they got to de attack defenseless cities. Old men, boys, and girl, and women. And they killed 3,000 people and took, took all the spoil from it. And Amaziah comes back and goes, they wanted the spoil. And they got it. And Amaziah looks at it and says, wow, I obeyed the prophet. I sent those guys home and look what happened. And just because we obey God after the fact does not mean that there aren't going to be consequences. And this is the hardest thing I have when I counsel people and they've made lots and lots and lots of mistakes and they go, now how can I make it right? Well, you start by doing way, things God's way from this point forward. But there are still consequences for past actions. And this is, you know, this is just turning to God does not take the consequences away. Deciding to obey God does not take the consequences away. I've talked with many people, especially men who are trying to get their life together, who have had children with three or four different women and going, I just can't afford to support all these families. And I'm going, you should have thought about that before you had families with three or four women. Because you're, according to God, now you've got to support all of them because that is what he says to do. Well, I can't do that. Well, that is what he says to do. Now, from this point forward, don't be sleeping with any more women <laughs> until you're married and start ready to start a family. You know, but we keep looking at this and saying, I want to do things my way, repent before God when things get bad, and hope that God takes away the consequences. But that is not what God does. Now, he does give us blessings. He will help us meet the needs when we're truly repentant. But the consequences will be there. On great occasion, every once in a while, God will nullify some of the consequences. I've seen that happen, but that is not his norm. That is the miracle that he will do at times to pull back on the consequences. But we need to be ready to say there are consequences and I'm going to go have to face those consequences. And this is the problem with sin. It's been that way right from the very beginning. Adam and Eve's sin was devastating to humanity. It made the entire human race fall. That's quite a, that's quite a penalty. Two people did all Technically one who then gave it to her husband. But we look at this and say, what a penalty. What a penalty. Now, God eventually came in, stepped into the world through coming into this world as Jesus, in the form of Jesus Christ, dying for our sins, so that our sins could be forgiven all the way from the beginning to, to the end. But there's a penalty that has been paid for that sin for all of, all of eternity, or not all of eternity, but all of time. And we see it over and over. David man after God's heart, stayed home from battle one, 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 one year, saw Bathsheba and committed adultery. And what was the consequences? Well, first off, he committed murder. Then he married, married her. That child died. And God says, because you have done this, the sword is not going to leave your home. And what you did in private will be done openly in, uh, in front of Israel. And so he had battles and, and sword all through his family for it. And his son 
rebelled against him and then took his concubines up on the roof of the palace and had sex with them on top of the roof in front of all of Israel. Now, I know they couldn't see much on top of the roof, but he made it very clear that he was taking his father's concubines and theoretically had public sex with them, even though it was way up where nobody could see, but everybody knew what was going on. And that was part of his consequence for what he had done. There's consequences for everything that we do. And we need to keep it in mind that there's always going to be consequences. We go through the Bible and see consequence after consequence after consequence. Now we see great blessings as well. You know, you think about Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. And they go, they thought they got away with it. But they always felt guilty. We see that when they talk to their dad about we've got to go down, we've got to take our brother down there. Uh, as soon as bad things are happening to, to Benjamin, they're going, it's because we sold Joseph into slavery. So what does that tell us? That for, for the um, 30 years, give or take a few, that Joseph had been sold into slavery, they had always felt guilty about what they had done and knew that judgment was coming. How would you like to live for 30 years of guilt? Now, maybe somebody's done it before. I don't know. But their brothers, his brothers lived for this long period of time with guilt. And they are going, we're getting our consequences. Almost 30 years later, they're going, you know, Benjamin's now going to be taken and made a slave, and it's all our fault. It's because of what we did. You know, they finally, and then they finally were ready to repent. It took them 30 years, but they were finally ready to repent. And God turned a blessing out of that one for them. Almost. A few years after Joseph died, they were made slaves. <laughs> so there was still a consequence for that sin that went on long term. And we see this over and over. Sin has long term consequences. For Amaziah, he's going to die and it's going to be new kingdom started. And we've seen this over and over. You watch all through the book of Judges, all through the Bible, where people start getting into sin, worshiping idols, they repent, God rescues them, but there's still long-term disaster because of it. You, know, you end up having famine, you have disease, and all these things that happen. And those things just don't end overnight. They take time, even with repentance. Now, the really hard thing is it takes time for God to bring the judgment in in the first place. You know, and this is what we see over and over. Pharaoh, Moses goes in and tells him, Pharaoh, let, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. Everything looks good for a while. Then judgment starts. First judgment, not too bad, though the Nile River turns blood red, <laughs> turns to blood. All the drinking water turns to blood. No, no nothing to drink for a while. You know, but it still didn't totally devastate his economy. And then over, over the period of the 10 plagues, the entire economy of Egypt was wiped out from being totally blessed by honoring Joseph and falling away from him to total destruction of the economy. Jeremiah preaches to the southern kingdom just before they're getting, getting uh, taken into captivity. 
And it says in Jeremiah, as we read through Jeremiah, that depravity and evil is running rampant through the people. Fornication, homosexuality, uh, all these things are happening, and they were being blessed as far as they were concerned. They're looking around and saying, there's no judgment for God. Look at all this wealth and, and everything we're getting. And then God turned on the judgments. And they went from great prosperity to depravity very quickly. We look at our country. Our country is on a path for destruction. We went from great pr prosperity, where even though we're not following God, and there are a handful of people saying, turn and repent, and we're watching how fast our country is falling. And if we don't repent, our country will be destroyed. Just as been said in the past, from the inside out. Because that's what happens when sin reigns. Now, am I saying we're beyond a revival? No, we're not beyond a revival. Now, I find it very hard and difficult to picture a revival. But when I've studied revivals, everybody in those times would have said exactly the same thing. We're so bad and so awful and look at sin is running rampant. There is no way that we can have a revival. God brings revivals at times. Will we have a revival? I don't know. You know, I look at the history and say, I don't know, I have no idea. Would I like to see a revival? Absolutely. Do we deserve a revival? Absolutely not. We deserve to get total judgment. Well, don't, don't the people have to bring the revival? They have to respond to the revival that God sends them. He sends a prophet, he sends a teacher. Nineveh, Jonah comes to Nineveh, and his message was real good. Uh, in 40 days, repent. In 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. That was his message. And, and he was probably not even saying it nicely. He was probably saying, repent, because in 40 days, I'm going to watch you get destroyed, because he wanted to see them destroyed. And yet they repented. We see in the scriptures several places where revival happened, and we see several places where revival did not happen. And when you look at what was going on during that period of time, you see how evil the people were doing. At the end of Joshua, we see the, the tribe of Benjamin almost totally destroyed because of the sodomy of the, of the, of the area. They, they took and raped the concubines, and they wanted to rape the, the Levite as well. And then when the nation came, the rest of the tribes came and challenged them, said, just give us these people here because of how bad they are. The tribe of Benjamin defended their city. And so what were they saying? We're okay with that sin. And then they almost totally wiped out the tribe of Benjamin because of their ferocious discipline of them. Uh, and then there was repentance, and, and we see them bringing brought back, back. And then you see us going into the book of ju uh, Judges where the people start... You know, if you want to see the sin in people, go to the book of Judges. And we see them go into sin, have bad things happen, repent, and God brings them back. If they don't repent, God destroys. And we've seen it happen where God has destroyed nations. He destroyed the southern kingdom. He destroyed the northern kingdom. Sent them in captivity, but destroyed them and took them out of existence. And if there's not repentance destruction will happen. We are on that razor edge right now in our world. Our country is definitely on it, and so are most of the countries of the world. 
We're on that razor edge of being in judgment. God is speaking his word clearly. Will people repent? I don't know. We need to pray. We need to call, just as Chronicles say, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and call upon my name and confess the sin, I will uh, restore. We're on that narrow place. And which way is it going to go? I have no idea. I have no idea. God knows. The one thing I do know is if, we, if our nation doesn't repent, God is still in charge. And we may end up being Daniel or Esther or one of those other ones that were taken into captivity and being the representative of God in those places. If not, we'll be martyred and go to heaven and that would be fine too. But where are we at? I don't know. I don't know where we're at, but we need to be ready and say nothing new under the sun and be ready to face whatever God is going to bring. Our prayer is confession of our, the sins of our nation. When you read Daniel, what is Daniel's prayer for this people? He keeps going, we have sinned, we have done this, we have done this. Now Daniel was a very righteous man, and if you listen to his prayer, it's like, Daniel, what do you think? You, you think you're terrible and awful? But he was praying for his people and saying, look at all the things that we have done. God, we deserve everything that you've done, but we're asking for your forgiveness. And this is what we need to understand. Our nation deserves to be punished. Don't get me wrong. Most, all the nations in the world right now, the direction we're going, deserve to be totally punished. But by God's grace, if people will repent, we can see a revival. Amaziah wasn't ready to do that. He wasn't ready to repent. Uh, verse 21, So Joash the king of Israel went up, and they saw one another face to face, both he and Amaziah king of Judah, at Beth Shemesh, which belonged to Judah. And Judah was put to the worst before Israel, and they fled every man to his tent. And Joash, the king of Israel, took Amaziah, the king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Jehoiaz, at Beth Shemesh, and brought him to Jerusalem, and broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits. And he took all the gold and silver and all the vessels that were found in the house of the god with Obedim, the treasurer of the king's house, the hostage also, and returned to Samaria. All right. So Joash had warned him, don't, you know, don't get too big for your britches. Don't, don't come after me. He decided he was going to come after him. And you note that where it says they met was in Judah. All right. So he leaves. And remember, there's a lot of distance between Samaria to Jerusalem. So when he moved, his, his army was moving rather slowly to be met in Judah compared to being met in, in closer to Samaria, uh, in Damascus. And it says, Judah was put to the worst before Israel. In other words, they were routed. They did not even stand a chance. And remember, this is the funny thing about Amaziah. Before he'd gone into battle, he goes, my army doesn't have any veterans. I'm going to hire veterans from the northern kingdom. 
He's got 300,000 people. He was going to hire 100,000 veterans to strengthen his army. He gets, and if they could spare 100,000 to, to sell to him, you know, rent to him, sell to him, how much more did they have out there of veteran soldiers? And he decides that, okay, I beat Edom. I'm, going to, I, I'm really strong. I, I didn't need those 100,000. I'm going to go attack these people. I've got 300,000. They're now veterans. They beat, they beat one army. Uh, and we're going to go up there and we're going to fight his skilled troops. And he didn't stand a chance. They were put to flight. Uh, and it says, behold, and they fled every man to his tent. Now, you note that it says every man. And I believe it means every man. In the middle of the battle, his entire army saw how quickly they were being beat and turned tail and ran. Now, you're really in trouble when your army turns around and runs away. All right. And I don't know if he had a bodyguard or anything that defended him. Um, it says every man ran away, so ran to his tent. So I don't even think he had a bodyguard or he had a very small bodyguard that stood for him. And he was captured. Now, this is actually probably a pretty dangerous point. What did he and his army do to the captured soldiers? They threw them off the cliff which might be why his army ran, ran away. We're not going to get captured and we're not going to die in battle. We're going to get as far from this scene as possible. We're going to go hide in our tents. We were never at the battlefield. We never went there. We don't want to be thrown off a cliff by, by uh, Joash and his soldiers. We're not going to be mistreated the way we mistreated the, the Edomites. What did they fully understand? Reaping and sowing and reaping. We did this awful thing. It is probably going to be done to us. Now, we're only following rules, uh, commands, but we know that we did wrong. And they obviously knew what they were doing was wrong. And this is a serious thing. So these people saw the battle going well. They had a choice, either die or surrender or run. Well, they weren't going to die. They didn't have enough courage to die. They saw the battle was going too bad. I don't think they wanted to surrender because they were afraid of seeing what had happened to the, you know, to the Edomites. So they decided to run. Get out of Dodge. <laughs> we were never there. <laughs> uh, and it says that Joash took, King, took Amaziah from Beth Shemesh and he went to Jerusalem and he broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits or about 600 feet of wall of Jerusalem was knocked down. What was he trying to do? He didn't make him totally defenseless, but he's saying, look at what I can do. You know, I told you not to come out here. I told you not to, not to meddle with things that were too big for you. I'm just demonstrating because I think he could have, he could have done everything. He could have he can go in there and take down four, 600 feet of, of wall and he took away all the treasure from the temple and he took some captives. Basically what he's saying is, Amaziah, just stay here where you belong. Do not get back out there playing with the big boys. Uh, next time I'm not going to be so nice to you. All right. Uh, harsh lesson. Harsh lesson that he's facing. 600 feet of wall is missing. 
in a city that has been considered unconquerable. Now, I don't know how he conquers it. Maybe he just comes in with the king and says, open the gate or the king's dying. I don't, I don't know how they opened the gate, why he got into the wall. Doesn't tell us. Well, all the armies were hiding in their tents. Well, yeah, there's no, I'm sure there was some army in Jerusalem. But where did God know that they were defeated? Uh, where did God know that they were defeated? And the bulk of the army, uh, all of the bodyguard, anybody who knew what they were doing, probably hiding in. So there, there may not have been anybody to defend the walls. Uh, and he tears down 600 feet of wall, takes away all the gold and silver out of the king's treasury and out of the temple, and takes the treasurer and others hostage. And he returns to Samaria. Now we think about this, and you know, I don't. When we read this, I'm not sure that we really catch this. He is being, overall, very gentle to Amaziah. He could have executed him outright. Said, "You went up against me, and I told you not to. You're dead." He's already taken the wall down in there. He could have taken the city. He could have said, "There is no more southern kingdom." Why he didn't, had to be God. God's mercy and grace upon the southern kingdom that he left it intact. Why did he leave it intact? Because he had promised David, your seed will sit forever in king, as a king in Jerusalem. It's the only reason that they hadn't been wiped out. The only reason that Amaziah was and his children weren't killed was the promise of God. And we see, you know, when we look back on it, we see grace. Was Amaziah seeing grace? No, he was seeing humiliation. But he's still alive. But he probably did not recognize the grace that was being shown to him. How many times do we go through a problem and don't recognize the grace that God is showing us in the solution to the problem? All we see is the harshness of the problem, the, the nastiness of the problem. Uh, we, we have the consequence, and usually we blame God for the consequence of our actions and don't see the grace and mercy God shows. Amaziah has great mercy being shown to him. He's not executed. He did not lose his, lose his capital. You know, he lost all of his money. He lost all of his treasury. His armies run away. But he is, still has a kingdom. I'm sure he doesn't recognize this as a blessing. He does not under, doesn't recognize this as grace, but it is not good. Billy? Really? So in the Bible, nobody's really given complete grace. I mean, complete grace would be the um, which you suffer for still. We always have consequences. Right, so that's it's not really complete grace. It's just, complete well, grace would be something beyond. If we ever had a complete grace, we probably would redo the sin again because we did not suffer for the sin. Yeah, I'm not saying we should get it. I'm just saying that. Now, can I say that nobody has ever, I'm trying to remember if anybody had a I would say probably Abraham came as close to complete grace as anybody. But even he suffered for various things. He brought his nephew with him. And his nephew took the best parts of the land and 
when they were divided, even though God said don't too, but so, so Abraham suffered consequences. I don't know that there's anybody who is, by that, by your thinking, complete grace, no consequences, I don't think anybody has ever suffered no consequences for sin. And nobody that I have ever seen has suffered no consequence for sin. Now, God's grace steps in sometimes and says, you're not going to get everything you deserve for your sin. David, you're not going to get everything you deserve. You deserve to die. You've committed two capital crimes. You're not going to die, but there are going to be consequences. His, his adultery with Bathsheba was a capital offense. The murder of Uriah was a capital offense. He committed two capital, capital offenses, and he got grace that he didn't die, but there were consequences for it. So we do get grace to not receive everything that we deserve for it, and God says, here is what you're going to get instead, but he gives us the mercy to not give us what we deserve, and he gives us grace to bless us, but he still allows consequences into our life. And it's hard to figure out, and it's hard to see the grace when you're in the middle of it. Like I'm saying, I'm sure Amaziah did not see any grace and mercy in this. All he is suffering right now, humiliation. I took my army out, and I came back as an army of one that's defeated. My city has been wiped out. My treasury has been wiped out. Was he really looking at the fact that he didn't lose his life? I don't think so. I don't believe so that he was even looking, and neither would we have. And, you know, to be blunt, we would not either. When we suffer humiliation for our disobedience to God, what's the first thing we do? We tend to blame God. God, why did you let these things happen? I just don't understand, God. I don't understand why you're letting these things happen. I'm your child. And God said, well, that's why you're not dead. You're my child. I'm going to give you grace and mercy, but you're still going to face consequences. You're still going to end up in the hospital or paying out, paying out expenses or whatever it might be because of the disobedience that you did. You're not going to get away scot-free. And if we did, what would we be saying? Wow, grace is so wonderful. It's cheap. I can do whatever I want and I don't have to pay the consequences. If you had no, no consequences for it, you would think it was, I can do what I want and God is going to bring consequences. Now, the sad thing is consequences fall on people that, they don't, that don't even, from our perspective, deserve it. We're all sinners. Whatever happens to us is less than we deserve. And this is what we have to understand, that anything that happens to us for consequences for sin is less than what we deserve, Period. Because what's the wages of sin? Death. The wages of any sin is death. So any consequence short of death is God's grace and his mercy. Do we see it that way? Not usually. When we're licking our wounds and complaining about how bad things are, the last thing we're looking at is, oh God, at least you didn't kill me. It's not what we're thinking. It's like, God, why do are you so mean to me? I, I didn't do anything really that bad. God, thank you. You didn't kill me for, my, for, my, for what I did. But we're not thinking that way. Because he hasn't given up on us. And this is the idea. Of when we fully understand, and this goes to what we've been talking about in the Truth Project, 
God says that we are deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can even know the depth of our wickedness? We can't even know the depth of our wickedness. And what do we deserve? We deserve death. We, because we have chosen to disobey. Adam and Eve were told, you're going to die. And theoretically, they did die. They died spiritually the day they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They died physically about a thousand, you know, just shy of a thousand years later. What a consequence. Created to live forever, would have lived forever, but sin shortened their life. Now, you're going a thousand years, that doesn't sound like a short life. Well, it is pretty short compared to what they were created to do. And can you imagine being Adam and Eve, living for a thousand years, they lived within 600 years of the flood. Watching evil getting more and more evil every generation. How would you like to be the guilty party for all of that? To look at all that was going on and going, this would not have happened if we had just obeyed God. I don't know that living that thousand years was a good thing for them. And I think it hurt them. I think that was a bigger penalty because I know, even for me, as I look at my kids, when my kids have done something wrong, it's like, what did I do wrong? Where did I go wrong? Could I have done anything better to have kept them from this path? And we like to second guess ourselves. What if? Now, the only problem with one if, it doesn't do you a bit of good. I've had a couple of places where I've done, could I have done something different in my life? Or what if I had done something different in my life? Because all of us have probably had at least one or two places in our life that were critical decision points in our life. That if I had made a different decision, my life would have been totally different. And I can remember I've had two of those places where I've looked at and said, if I had done this at that point instead of this, or, or if I had done this instead of this, and two points in my life that I can remember, and I've had to teach myself, you cannot look back. It doesn't matter. Because if I had done something different, I wouldn't have the life that I have now. I wouldn't be who I am today. So we need to get away from the what ifs because they're totally irrelevant. All of this comes down to where are we at? Yes, hardships happen. And unfortunately, when God is bringing discipline upon us, many times there is this whole innocence seem to suffer. The person gets out, gets drunk, gets behind their wheel, and then uh, rams their car into a you know, family traveling, traveling home and kills, all, you know, kills an entire family. Why was that innocent family killed and, that, and usually the drunk lives? You know, and the family dies or they hit somebody in a crosswalk or something, they do damage that they're going to suffer for for the rest of their life and somebody, quote unquote, innocent, pays a price. And it's hard. We don't know why God did it. The only thing I know for sure is even in those situations, Romans 8.28 still exists, that God has a plan. He had a plan for that family. He has a plan for the alcoholic. He has a plan for all the other people that are attached to that, that activity. What it is, I have no idea. He chose us before we were even created, before he created the world, knowing what we were going to do. 
You know, that doesn't make any sense. God, you knew how miserable I was going to be and how many mistakes I was going to make and how many mistakes I was going to make in my family and how many mistakes I was going to make with the church and how many mistakes I was going to make in teaching and you still chose me and put me in this place. And you're going, I go and I have a clue why. And when these crazy things happen, they're not outside of God's foreknowledge. He knew they were going to happen and he had some reason for it. And he says, I've got a plan and I know what I'm doing. And we're going, God, it makes no sense to me. I don't see a plan. And God goes, I have a plan. Why does all of these things happen? Who knows? You know, one of the great examples we see is Joseph going into captivity. What did he tell his brothers when they're finally, when they're, his father dies long after everything's done? They're going, Father asked us to have you take mercy on us. Because they were sure that dad was dead, that he was going to go after him. And his answer to them was very interesting. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Quit worrying about it. You're forgiven. God has a plan even when things look like they have no plan behind them. And this is hard to understand. You know, we look at our government, you know, and the elections that we have and going, God, is it even any worth doing anything? You know, and it's kind of in one sense, it's kind of sad because God already knows who's going to win. And he's going to make sure the person he desires to win wins. We would not have Biden as president if God did not desire Biden to have been our president. Why? Because we deserve the president we got, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, and it's sad to say, but this country deserves the president that we got. And, you know, will we see anything change in the future? Probably not. Without repentance, without repentance, we will not see a change in our government that's going to be worthwhile. And until we repent, it's not going to happen. So verse 25, And Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived after the death of Joash, the son of Jehoiaz of Israel, 15 years now the rest of the acts of Amaziah from first to last, behold, are, the, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel? Now after the time that Amaziah did turn away from following the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. And they sent to Lachish after him and slew him there. And they brought him upon horses and buried him with his fathers in the city of, in, in the city of Judah. All right, so Amaziah is going to live as puppet king, basically. I'm sure he's a tributary to the northern kingdom. But he lives 15 years after uh, Joash dies. So, and he's going to be there. And then it just gives us this. Now the rest of the acts of Amaziah, they're written in the books of the kings of, of Israel and Judah. Now, I'm not sure if this is referring back to the books of First and Second Kings or some other book that we don't have. A lot of his acts are in there, but not all of them. So I think it's talking about other, other books. And we see this over and over in the scriptures. It references books that we do not have. All right? And so these guys made chronicles, you know, daily journals of what was done on, on their day, you know, what they did, who they saw, what happened. And 
you know, just like our presidents have somebody scribing out their day and their activities, and what do they do as soon as they get out of office? They create, they create a presidential library where they put in all the notes of all the stupid stuff that nobody ever wants to read unless they're a historian. You know, don't want to read every single activity that happened to them the entire day of their, of every day of their life with, the, you know, with journals, four to eight journals along their wall showing everything they've ever done. These are the books that they're referring to. Uh, the king got up in the morning and held court. These were the cases that were solved. He went out and, you know, and did a honor guard, went out and trained, you know, went out on a trip, whatever, whatever it was he did was all recorded on these books, and these are what they're referring to when they write these books. And then it ends up in verse 27. Now, after the time that Amaziah did, did turn away from following the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem. In other words, people were assassins were going to come after him. They went after his father, and they decided that we were going to kill Amaziah. Now, I'm not sure if they wanted to kill him because he had turned his back on God, or was this just a consequence for all the sins that he had did that God allowed because of the turning of his back on God? Don't know. When you make your bed with the wrong people, you have to watch your back all the time. And this is the sad problem that the world has. The world is full of people that will stab you in the back in a heartbeat just all the time. Unfortunately, Christians might stab you in the back, and we're not supposed to, but at least with Christians, we can hopefully know that their family are going to take care of us. But he has been making his bed with the wrong people, and a conspiracy comes up. And somehow he hears about the conspiracy, and he flees Jerusalem to go to Lachish. And all they do is send the people to Lachish and kill them in Lachish. Uh, and the very interesting, they brought him upon horses and buried him in the, in his fa with his father in the city of Judah. They brought him back to, Israel, uh, to Judah and buried him. Not with David, but with his father. Remember, his father was not buried with David because of his sin, but he was honored. He was honored, and he's getting an honor. He's being buried in a royal burial. And it doesn't talk about the fire or no fire like it did with his dad. But he's getting at least some honor as he's being taken care of and brought back to the city where he belongs and is buried. So he ends up with honor and death, even though they're probably not an honorable death, but they give him honor in death with a proper burial for the king. And we see this, the sadness of his life. He starts out seeking God. He starts out following God. He even listens to a prophet and says, you shouldn't be hiring these people. And then from that point on, goes downhill because he chose to worship other gods. And again, over and over I see this, and I say this over and over again, my greatest desire is I want to end well with God. I see so many of the people in the Bible that did not end well, and over the years I've met so many people that did not end well with their following of God. And my prayer is, God, I just want to end well. I do not want to fall flat on my face. I do not want to be... Well, he used to be a good man, being the testimony. 
I don't want to hear that. I want to hear he's been a good teacher up until his death. I want to be a Paul. I want to be a Timothy. I want to be a John, you know, that's all the way to the time I die, teaching people, raising people up, encouraging people. May not be a pastor the rest of that whole time, but I want to be somebody who is teaching people to seek after God. And this is what's so important because Amaziah did not finish well. And this is sad. Why didn't he finish well? One major mistake. Well, started with one major mistake, wanting to hire these enemy soldiers to be in his army. But the big one was when he turned his back on God and started worshiping other gods. And how easy is it for us to worship other gods in our life? And you will, well, I'll never bow down to a statue. Well, you know, what, what does it mean to follow an idol? Anything that takes the place of God in our life is an idol. And we can look at it. What takes all of our time? I want to finish where God is still forefront of my mind. I'm studying his word. I'm in church. Even if I'm not teaching, I want to be with God and teaching and ministering. I don't want people to look at it and say, well, he no longer gave tithes. He, never, he no longer went to church. And I've seen so many people that they just disappear from church. They don't finish well. Am I saying they're not saved? No, I'm not saying they're not saved. They just don't finish well. Now, a lot of people look at them in their later life and say, well, I don't see Christianity in them. Well, wouldn't have seen Amaziah as somebody that was strong either. I believe that he was following God and honoring God in the early part of his life. But he didn't end well. Does that mean he ended up in hell? I don't think so. Now, I've seen many people who didn't finish well, and I'm not saying they're not saved. I, I knew them when they were really on fire for God. They just made a series of decisions that did not finish well. And this is why we need people in our lives that can say, what's going on? Where are you going? What's, what's happening? Why are you making these decisions? Now, we have to be ready to listen to them and not threaten them like Amaziah did to, to his prophets. We have to be ready to listen and say, you know what? They're right. I need to get my life back in, in line with God and follow after God. Amaziah did not do this. And he suffered. And he suffered greatly. And because he's king, his people suffered greatly. And this is the sad thing. When consequences fall, they fall on what we call the innocents. He suffered. His army was wiped out. He did not have a wall. They had to rebuild a wall. Did it ever look as good? I don't know. You know, They had to rebuild a wall. He had to regather his army. He had to retrain his army. He was very vulnerable for a long time to attack. And all of this happened because of his disobedience. And his people suffered. And we've got to understand, when we disobey, others around us will suffer. The more authority we have, the more position we have, the more people that will suffer. But all of us have people that love us, care for us, and, and know us that will suffer if we disobey. And this is serious business. The consequences of sin can be very serious. And they start so small. This, his first problem was that he didn't trust God and go to God and go, God, can my 300 people take the Edomites? God would have told him yes. He would have gone to battle, been victorious, and maybe he might not have gotten too big for his britches and got beat up by 
Joash, or maybe God would have said, go punish them. I don't know. We can't know what, what would have happened. But God said, that was the first major mark point in his life where we see him making an ungodly decision. And it seems so small. I'm just going to do what's really good. I'm going to go hire some extra, extra men so that we can really beat these guys really well. And God says, no. We need to be so careful because when we walk in the ways of the world, we do what's right according to the world, there's going to be consequences. And we need to be praying all the time and saying, God, what do you want to do? God will give us victory when there seems to be no way for victory if we trust him. And we just need to learn to trust him in all that we do. Lord, we ask you to bless the rest of our week as we go out. Lord, teach us to just learn to trust you more. Learn, teach us to go to you with our needs and our desires and to learn to just trust you when all else looks like it's going to be lost, that we'll follow you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.